This is the Frontier Podcast, powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. David Gonzo Gonzalez is the CEO and co-founder of Ziff.ai, a deep learning as a service platform. Ziff's goal, reduce the complexity required to profit from AI in an enterprise setting. In this episode, Gonzo and Ledge discuss how to answer the question, how do I know as a business person if my business model could be enhanced as an AI? It comes down to prediction, forecasting, and two areas where the profits really lie, automation and augmentation. In other words, find opportunities to help the humans in the loop be faster and more accurate and you'll win. Gonzo, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, great to be here, Ledge. Uh, so, uh, name is David Gonzalez. Uh, most folks call me Gonzo. Uh, it's a kindergarten nickname. Uh, I am the CEO and co-founder of a company called Ziff. Uh, you can find us online at Ziff.ai. Uh, at Ziff, we've been uh, my business partner Ben Taylor and I have been working on creating a essentially deep learning as a service platform, uh, and that has matured over the last year and a half into. Um, kind of a unique product offering. It's a, an AI database. Um, and so our, our overarching goal in life is to reduce the complexity required to proffer and profit from AI in an enterprise setting, such that kind of the, the classic dyad that has been super productive in software, the product visionary plus the software engineer, can just stay capable um, and use AI for, for the things that they want to build. Um, uh, hopefully removing the need for uh, the bottleneck that has kind of crept up over the last five years, uh, that, that infamous or, or awesome role, depends on who you ask, uh, of data scientists. So that's what we're doing over here at Zeph. Awesome. Yeah. So the ability becomes then for, you know, any enabled developer to, you know, consume kind of AI deep learning as a, a service then. Um, how do I even know, you know, as a, as a business person that I have a business model that lends itself to being enhanced by AI? Like what's, what's the heuristic kind of thought pattern around like, gee, I don't even know, like, that sounds awesome. I should use that, but what do I do? And, and how do you start? Yeah, great question. And, you know, my, my thinking on this is matured. It's, it's taken probably longer than it should have. You can if you guys saw the video here, you'd see, uh, you know, there's a little gray in the beard, so I'm, I'm not the spring chicken here. Um, originally, I pursued advanced analytics because it allowed me to solve uh, fairly high-scale problems uh, with enough throughput to be useful. And this specifically was applied in, in marketing and advertising. In those settings, uh, you're often split-second decision is the difference between profit and loss. And so advanced analytics and even before that kind of more classical approaches were the only way that you could digest data and make a decision fast enough. Uh, where, where my thinking has matured is I approached all of those problems from kind of an automation bias, but the vast majority of business problems actually fit into kind of a prediction forecasting uh, camp. And so when people think about stats, they think about uh, machine learning, AI, 
they're mostly thinking about kind of classic approaches to improving their forecasts and, and predicted outcomes of certain business events. And so, um, and so in that mode of like forecasting and prediction, the way I've come to see it is, you know, advanced analytics today for the most part is just an incremental gain on the trajectory of prediction and forecasting. We've had general linear models. We've had, you know, think Excel dropping a regression line on, on a chart. We've had that kind of forecasting for over a hundred years. And what, uh, Machine learning and advanced analytics bring to the table are incrementally better, but not a sea change opportunity within an organization. There is an orthogonal trajectory that does focus primarily on automation efforts and augmentation efforts, and it centers around specific data types, image, audio, video, and text. So human-friendly data. We call this, in, in data science, we call this unstructured data. So Structured data fits happily in Excel. It's in your databases. Uh, it's, uh, I like to call it business exhaust. You do a bunch of processes and this is what, the, you know, the structured data is what you collect. Unstructured data uh, is not often collected. Uh, and if it is, it's usually collected in service of something like compliance. Like we have to make sure we record these phone calls or these trends, you know, uh, or these images that we took of your house while we uh, assessed its damage so that we can always come back to it later and say we made this decision right. Um, but when we say we made this decision, it's literally a human in the loop. So for all unstructured problems, there's a human in the loop at some point considering data that is in the system primarily for human consumption, image, audio, video, and text. On that trajectory, I feel like we are in a new territory. And so the advice is always to kind of suss out the opportunities that fit into the camp of deep learning and automation versus the camp of just standard data rigor prediction and, and forecasting. And if you can find opportunities to help the humans in the loop be faster, be more accurate, uh, deep learning is probably going to be a contributor to that effort. Yeah, I had a conversation recently with a, a CTO of a healthcare startup that was using uh, deep learning to look at brain scans and and try to identify down to you know the cellular level uh, what based upon the literature you know was the best possible approach to treating a particular kind of of malady or mental illness in the brain and that's a fascinating you know kind of use case where um, human augmentation is is the whole point because you know a doctor can't consume tens of thousands of pages and remember and recall, you know, the exact right combination of things that was useful in a particular case uh, for medical. I imagine there's, you know, sort of a, a body of work around every discipline or subdiscipline that would lend itself to that kind of uh, human augmentation where there's just like, there's too much to process in order to come up with what you can conceive of as a logical path. You just can't process it unless you're, you know, sort of using computing power to enhance that learning. Does that, does that resonate with the same type of problem set? I, I think it does to, to some degree. Um, I'm, I'm always cautious to attribute to AI the ability to do things that a human can't do. Um, my, my general take is that it can do things at a scale that humans can't do them. Uh, and, the, and that scale is either, you know, it, you can think of the scale as a, a, 
a time horizon. So it can't comprehend things, you know, a, a human can't process XYZ data uh, at a sub-second level. It could totally comprehend it, but it's going to take, you know, the human's going to spend a day, a week, a month analyzing it. Um, and so scaling out is usually compressing time uh, with AI. Uh, there, there are kind of the classic examples coming back from, you know, data mining practices where, you know, the beer, the classic beer and diapers example, you know, hey, you know, we did a deep learning exercise in retail and it turns out if, if you, you know, put di- beer and diapers next to each other, you sell more of both. And, and it's always kind of like, ha that's, that's cute. That's interesting. Uh, who, who would have guessed? And, and I like to bring back people back to reality. It's like, yeah, but if I put that into the hands of a, a noob data scientist, uh, my solution is going to be to put a diaper display in the beer aisle. And the five o'clock news is going to show up and talk about, you know, the travesty of, you know, civilization corroding because, you know, people are selling diapers to alcoholics and they probably shouldn't have kids anyway. I mean, it just, it, it goes off the rails. And so you really need to bring the domain expert back in and say, okay, well maybe we put the diaper aisle closer to the beer aisle, uh, but not, not the new approach. So, you know, in, in that sense, are, are we going to be able to do things that humans can't do? No, but we're going to be able to do things that humans can do at a rate that humans would never be able to do them. And, and, and we're finding that over and over again by introducing unstructured data to the equation. So the image component or, you know, with the, the healthcare example, if you can combine unstructured and structured data, you're going to find a ridiculous amount of signal. Um, in with, with our customers, what we found over and over again is that the, the structure components are doing quite well. So, you know, you take your structured data, your, you know, your columns and rows of data coming out of the database, what we're going to call metadata, and you do kind of a classic, you know, a classic machine learning approach using some kind of gradient boosted regression or something like that. And you're going to get a really high accuracy on being able to predict outcomes. You're going to get a really high accuracy on being able to assess that information and potentially properly categorize this this patient's uh, observation as a disease or, or something like that, some malady. If you can introduce also the radiography, but not just the radiography, but also the notes from the doctor, um, and you can introduce the notes from doctors, uh, the notes from nurses, when you start to consider all that data, again, I would argue that a top-notch uh, physician could consider all that data and make a great judgment call on whether or not this person is plagued with XYZ malady. The, the key innovation with AI is that in less than a second, that information can be digested and a, a diagnosis can be coughed up. And that can steer uh, a physician to make a calibrated uh, intervention based on the confidence that the AI has that XYZ malady is at, at play. Because the human approach is essentially we have it or we don't have cancer. Um, and the, the information coming back from the AI is going to be, you know, uh, it's a 76% certainty that the person has cancer. So, you know, do you treat a 76% uh, cancer case as aggressively as a 99 case? And my guess is probably not. And so that's, that's kind of how the augmentation effort comes into play as well. So I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah, kind of sure, sure. And there's that extra dimension of like sort of uh, 
meta information from you know an unstructured for example like maybe there's a hundred medical journals and studies that have been conducted and all of those can be ingested and compared against the results to guide the diagnosis you know sort of in that way right so precisely yeah you would have had to have read and internalized and remembered all those things and uh, and also you get down to i imagine there's a a challenge with searching, you know, that it would have had to have been tagged in some way that uh, the human would know how to type in a, a search result into a traditional, you know, sort of LexisNexis or something. So does it help yeah. solve that problem? It, you know, uh, you know, that's an interesting dimension. So kind of, we like to say that something that you get for free with deep learning uh, that you don't necessarily get with classic machine learning unstructured data is that your unstructured data is truly comprehended. Um, it's comprehended at a level that is, it's pretty easy for humans to, to comprehend, to kind of understand, uh, you get topics. So you can take image data, you can take radiography data, you can take videos, uh, throw them into a network and we carve up the, the data into such a way that now all of your information can be sorted and searched and not, not how you would think, not just, Hey, we, we put this. Uh, x-ray film into you know into the ai and it tagged it with things and then we're searching through the tags now it, it starts to look more like the way a human behaves where we can actually search x-ray with another x-ray so we can take an x-ray and say i want to find all of the x-rays that are most similar to this one and you get a stacked rank result set that shows all of the pictures that are the most similar to that one and you can do this with x-rays, you can do this with pictures of faces, you can do this with pictures of roof damage, you can do this with pictures of car damage, um, you can do this with, uh, heck, you can actually do this with YouTube channels. Um, and so we have, we have applications where the tribal knowledge that is typically trapped in a, in a highly trained expert, um, not often as well paid as, say, a radiologist, but they are highly trained. Um, you know, maybe they're a campaign manager, maybe they're... Uh, you know, a product marketing guru. These folks have a high degree of tribal knowledge that can only be conveyed through something kind of like apprenticeship. When you use AI to comprehend your unstructured data, suddenly that tribal knowledge is disseminated to the entire organization. And everybody can say, well, you know, instead of saying, has anyone ever seen a case like this? And the answer is like, well, you should go talk to you know, Dr. Joe, like that guy's been around forever and he knows everything. Um, you can actually just literally query the, the data and say, Hey, I want to see all the cases that are similar to this. And you get a stacked ranked order list of all of the cases that are most similar in, in every conceivable on, on every conceivable dimension, not just what you thought to tag the case with. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, you can completely see there how the, advanced searchability based on, you know, find me a thing like this, you know, without having to specify the, what is this, you know, it's going to be vastly more powerful to, uh, to dig into, you know, the just yeah. gigantic data set. And, and it starts to touch upon kind of the, the, the long, uh, the long held belief that we were going to get to semantic search and we have something like it, um, you know, with text based searching, but, Typically, when we think of search, you know, uh, computers are really good at what we call like uh, syntactic search. So, so things that are very much similar to each other, 
searching for hat and hats plural. Um, that that's easy. Searching for the 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 express tag of you know a cancerous cell of certain kind. Um, that makes a lot of sense for us. What I think we all hope for is kind of that um, uh, that the delightful search uh, result that finds us the thing that is the intent of what we were looking for, um, but was not something that we could articulate clearly. And and I would call that you know true semantic oriented search. And and that something like that can happen with images and audio uh, and, and video based data. Where we're, we're saying, you know, when I say I want to search and find something like uh, this image of a person, I, I don't have, I, I don't want to have to type in, you know, male, uh, Caucasian, uh, age bracket, uh, you know, whether or not they have stubble. I, I don't want to type in all of these things. I, I'd actually just like to put a picture of the person that I, I want to find and, and put it into the system and come back with everything that's the most similar. And, and I think that that kind of power uh, is going to rapidly permeate the enterprise. And it's going to be something that transforms the way uh, most of us work uh, these processes where we're in the loop considering a large amount of unstructured data. Awesome. Yeah. Great thoughts. Great thoughts. So I usually wrap with the same question. Uh, You know, we're in the, the business of, you know, providing sort of super senior remote, freelance engineers. And I love to ask every tech leader that I talk to, you know, it's like, how, what is your heuristic for understanding, you know, if someone is just like the top of the top, you know, engineer, and then how and where does the dimension of remote work kind of, you know, fit into there? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with the, the, the second one, you know, where does remote fit in? Uh, I've had tremendous success with kind of well-identified projects. Um, and, and, and I think we all think that our projects are well-identified or maybe we, we, we hope that they are. Um, it, it kind of boils down to this question of ownership. Uh, and I've had tremendous success with talented remote operators when I say kind of this is the objective, these are the assessment criteria. And I actually don't care how you get there. You kind of, the classic Delta force type mentality where it's like, there is a singular objective and I don't care how you get there. Um, To the point of like, I almost don't care what language you're writing in. I don't care what framework you use. uh, I just need X, Y, Z done. And when you do that, the most talented people often bring back into the organization, a completed project that blesses the, the whole organization with like, this is a center of excellence we should all build better stuff like, you know, like this person did. Um, And I find that that, that has paid dividends over and over again on that front Uh, with kind of the staff augmentation approach. uh, It's a different mentality and you're really looking for somebody um, who can work well with kind of a project manager. And I think in that kind of remote or oriented team, it does come back down to well-identified projects, but at this, at that level, it's a task, very, very well-defined tasks. Um, because when, when you're working remote, unfortunately, communication is just not as sound. Uh, I, I would always hope that it would be better because it's more explicit, but what I find is that it's more explicitly vague. Um, and, you know, because people can't read each other. And, and so you have to tighten up, uh, you know, the communication style, but really you just have to tighten up your ask. 
Um, and when you do that, remote works really, really well. Um, so then, you know, on the first part of that question, you know, how do you find or how do you identify great technical talent? I, I've gone back and forth on everything from code tests to, you know, just kind of open-ended interview. Um, I, I think where I've gotten to is kind of more like, uh, I'm, I'm kind of spacing the terminology, but I love to have an interview where I have the person give me a detailed play-by-play of the projects that they worked on and where they've worked. Because I find that over and over and over again, the way somebody articulates their work and how they contributed to it and what were the pitfalls and how they failed and or triumphed or how they failed and then rescued a project is much more indicative of their their chops on a project um, than most kind of whiteboard coding sessions. Um, And I've done a lot of those too. And and I feel like the way somebody attacks code is almost, it's less important than having a long work history of successful projects under their belt. The assumption is they know how to code. And what I find is if you got somebody with five to seven years plus under their belt, they know how to code. But but if they haven't learned how to be a good programmer, how to be a good architect, if they haven't learned how to be a good communicator, then it almost doesn't matter how good they code. Fantastic answer. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Thanks so much, Gonzo. It's good spending time with you. Uh, best of luck at, at Ziff. We're, we're looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with. Absolutely. Thanks for the questions over the time and uh, I look forward to, to talking with you further. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.